Before we uh, get into the word this morning, just a, a, a quick announcement. If you didn't know it, Mark Trotter's last book is out. Uh, it's a kind of a devotional book. It's from Colossians chapter 3, Things Above. Uh, that is available at the education counter. What are we calling it? Oh, we're working on a name. The working name. The working name, this is close, the education counter. It used to be the discipleship counter, but now it's all things next step on the path to growth, and, and, uh, and um, you know, we're, we're trying to get good biblical studies out to people, so the books are there, and so uh, education. The education center at the education, it's a small lobby, you'll find it. Um, it so you can... Uh, you can get that after the service. We're going to pray, and then we're going to get into uh, the Word of God. I did, you know, I thought about, you know, what are we going to do after retreat, and and I just didn't have peace about us spending time on Cain killing his little brother today. Um, so we're we're not in Genesis this week. It'll delay the finishing of the study. So I don't know if you can put that in your calculus, but. Um, um, uh, that'll, 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 we're we're going to be off for a week. I want, what I wanted to do was um, just uh, have a, a review and just give you some of the thoughts that I had coming off of retreat. Retreat was an awesome time. If you weren't able to make it, it's not the end of the world. The, the, I mean, you missed out. The fellowship, being able to hang out, being able to visit, the worship together, uh, just it's God just shows up anytime God's people get away together and get in the word together. I would encourage you this time next year, just mark that off and, and start working on getting the time off and, and um, get, you know, work out your vacation days and, and come with us to all church retreat. Uh, bring your family, uh, invite people. It's, uh, it's a great place for visitors. You'll, you, you'll, you'll be glad that you did that. Uh, but the messages are online, and, and, and also just the assignment would be find someone that you know well that went to All Church Retreat and have them tell you about it. You want to hear their testimony in terms of everything that went on. But uh, I, you know, I was thinking about this yesterday coming home from retreat, and I thought, you know, we can't, uh, we can't look at, at Cain and Abel this week. We'll, we'll Lord will and pick it up uh, next. But that being said, there is no handout this morning. Uh, I did put together a rough, I was up late last night putting my thoughts together on this, so there's no handout. You'll survive that. You know, back in my day, we walked to church uphill in the snow both ways for a couple of hours, and so you'll make it without a handout this morning. Uh, let's pray, and then let's get, we'll get into the word together. Father, thank you for loving us, and we, ju- we do, we just say amen. Uh, the Lord Jesus, he is our all in all, and God, it's in our heart to lift up the name and the word of Christ. God, that that Christ would be magnified, that, Lord, you would be glorified. And so, Lord, would you bless our time in your word? Lord, would you take the, the brain fog that everybody typically has at the end of a week of retreat like this and and Lord, the weakness of my flesh and my stumbling lips, and, and God, would you just circumvent all of that and and through what your word says, uh, what your word teaches, would you speak to us and Lord, would you open our heart, our, our mind, our eyes, our understanding. God, we wanna know you better this morning. Uh, Lord, we need to grow in knowing you. We need to know you better every day and, and Lord, uh, in growing in your word, we need to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus and so help us this morning, we ask. God, thank you for the opportunity to give Lord, uh, I, I thank you for a church where every member's a minister, everybody functions as a steward, and, and, and Lord, the members kind of own, uh, in a very practical, tactical way, own the work of the ministry. And, and so, God, would you bless uh, stewards as they prioritize your word and the work. Uh, Lord, would you bless those funds to support ministry here and all over the world. God, I thank you for the, the leaders who are in charge of making sure those resources are invested well. Would you give them wisdom and discernment and insight? Uh, help no one to, 
uh, to make a lot of mistakes. Uh, Lord, help us to help the mistakes to be few and and uh, Lord, the, the stewardship of, of the disbursement of funds, that it would be effective and that it would, it would effectively multiply ministry. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. We thank you for all the good reports from, from retreat. We're grateful and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so speaking of the giving, um, in the back, we're, you know, we're waiting for the Delta variant to finish washing through the Midwest before we start passing the plate again. Uh, but you can give. There's offering boxes at the back. You can give there. They're off, the, off both sides of the, um, the uh, sound booth. And then on the west side of the building, there's offering boxes. And of course, you can give online at LFBI, I'm sorry, mbt.org, mbtkc.org. I'll get it eventually mbtkc.org, click the MyLFBI button and you can, you can give digitally. Uh, a couple more quick things. Be praying for the Murphys, okay? There's a lot of illness, a lot of sickness. It started out a, a couple of weeks ago with COVID and, and now there's some stomach thing going. And just let's pray that the Murphys would get all healed up. Um, we we want to see them thriving, their health thriving. We need them back. And then, speaking of needing them back, Tish Templeton is in the house this morning. <laughs> Got to be with us in camp, and, and so this is good. This is, like, this is like old times. Okay, so the retreat follow-up. Uh, just thinking about what we heard from the Lord. You know, Pastor Dan, and, and speaking on prayer, I don't know if you, you caught this, but, but one of the things that really just stood out to me is obviously God himself is the goal. Did you catch that? God is the goal. When we pray, it, 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 it's, it's, it's to seek God himself. When Alan, uh, he, in his message, we saw our need to come to God based on his word, and there's no prayer answered if there's no prayer given. And, and so uh, I really appreciated that. That was uh, just a fit word for me. And then uh, I was so grateful for George's messages. Uh, we, you know, we had a, if there was ever a great plug for LFBI, it was Pastor Grace's messages. Uh, I think we've got 18 classes up and open this semester. Uh, if you haven't registered for LFBI, you want to do that, you can go to lfbi.org and, and, and get going on your Bible education. You can study the Word of God, study to show yourself approved unto God. And then uh, I just so thoroughly enjoy, enjoy Joe. Uh, he is one of my favorite preachers on the planet, and we saw humility as the theme, and, and again, Christ is the example. He's our aim in humility. He is the ensample for us. And so, as thinking about what, you know, what, what the takeaway is for our church, I just want to challenge you with a few things this morning, because I think um, uh, what I heard from the Lord at retreat this, this year is our, our need to grow in knowing God. Um, you know, I know, I know Nate Fife, okay? If you were a new visitor, and somebody had pointed out Nate to you, okay, you've been coming for a, a, a week or five, you know, hey, somebody comes up to you, hey, I need to find Nate Fife. do you know him? You would say yes, uh, it's that dude right there uh, with the obsidian something in his ears, okay? So you say, That's, I, yeah, I know Nate Fife. but the reality is, is you don't know Nate, you just know who he is, do you see that? Now, Nate, I've known Nate, I mean, I've known Nate since he was a teenager. I mean, how old are you now? 32. Um, I've known Nate for going on half his life, okay? I know, I know not only who Nate is, but I know him. I know how he rolls, right? I know his spirit. Uh, we've had enough conversations here and there over the years that I know his mind, I know his heart. In other words, I know Nate. Now, I don't know Nate as well as I should know Nate, but I'm growing in knowing Nate. I know Nate. It's going to be tough for you to get me tripped up thinking crazy about Nate or thinking wrong about Nate. Why? Because I know him. Does this make sense? There's a lot of people who say that they know the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're not growing in knowing him. What started at salvation, right, you came to Christ and you submitted your life to him, but are you growing 
in grace? Are you growing in the word? Are you growing in the Lord? Are you growing in knowing him? So I want you to get this down. This is, so, this is, a, this is a very real present danger. You can believe on God, but not grow in knowing him. You can believe on God, but not grow knowing him. A lot of God's people presume on God, they take his goodness for granted, and they miss his goals and plans for their life. God is, is like so many of their other relationships. He's just there to pass the peas. He's just there to provide a blessing, a little insight, a little, little, little direction, a little help in a time of need, but, but spending time with the Lord, getting to know him, well, that's not, that's not part of the objective. You know, um, a couple times, three or four times over the, over the week, both George and Joe made a point to tell me uh, Sam, you need to understand what an incredibly unique thing you have going on here. Uh, what a unique thing, what a good thing that we've got. And if you were paying attention to their messages, both of them did the same thing to you. Uh, they told you what you have is a very unique and a very good thing. <sighs> um, so I, I agree, I, I'm great, grateful to the Lord. I'm grateful for what God has done. MBT is a church where God's people are serious about God's word and, and um, they're serious about li- living it out. So help us God and by his grace. Uh, MBT is a church where God's people love each other and they love the Lord and, and, and so I get all of that. Uh, I think though there's a danger that we'd be presumptive. There's some, I, I guarantee you at MBT, there's some people that think that this church is the best church on the planet. And maybe for you it is, because God has you here. But at the end of the day, uh, that's very presumptive thinking. Uh, Christ didn't just die for the members of MBT, he died for the whole world, amen? And all of God's people are very precious and, and they're worth laying our lives down for. But I, 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 I think there's some people that probably think that MBT is, uh, is the whole shebang Right, it's all that and the bag of chips and you know whatever. Okay, there's a danger though of being presumptive. Um, you know, we take we take Bible study serious. Um, MBT, you know, we get our praise on whatever, and we fail to recognize how desperately we need the Lord. Without Him, we can do absolutely nothing. There's nothing that God calls us to. If it's gonna fall out to eternal value and eternal significance, we can't do it through what we know intellectually about the Bible or the things of God. We can't do it through personal, through, through fleshly wisdom, power, or strength. Except God build the house, we're playing at it. Except God is using, right, his people, doing his work through his people. Well, we just have a form of godliness, but no reality. Miles' message before All Church Retreat, he talked about Uzzah's breach. Why did Uzzah die? Why did he die? Well, I'll tell you, at the end of all of it, the reason he died is because he didn't know the word of the Lord. That's why he died. He didn't know hands off. He didn't know that. And he had, I mean, he was a good-hearted guy. He wanted to help. He, he wanted to be a part, and he saw the ark in danger and he's gonna help God out and, and the whole time everyone's presuming to know what the will of the Lord is and they've never even read their Bible to know that it's the priests that are to carry it through the rings, you know? Uh, the, nobody knows the word of God and so they get presumptive. A lack of knowing God, a lack of knowing God's word can be deadly. In Hosea 4 verse six, the Bible says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. It's very dangerous to not know the word of God, to not know the person of God. You know, in the judiciary, there's a great principle that says ignorance of the law is no excuse, but officer, I didn't know. Well, that's okay, here's your ticket. Officer, I didn't know. Well, okay, here's your cuffs. Ignorance of the law is no excuse for breaking the law. And so how many people have gotten in trouble over the years because they didn't know the law, they didn't know the word of the land? Well, the same thing's true concerning God's word. God says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So what happens is, is you live stupid because, you know, we're stupid. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. 
You didn't care to take me at my word, and so now you're not qualified. It's like, uh, it's like anything else in life. If I wanna start on the basketball team, I need to know the plays. I need to know how, I need to know the fundamentals. I need to know how the game works. I need to know what our team's going to do. I need to understand the strategies. If I don't study to show myself approved, if I don't put in the work, guess what? I'm just gonna sit on the bench. If I'm on a team where I don't know the mission, the objectives, the rules and the regulations, I'm not fit or qualified to be used on that court. Does that make sense? So you work very hard. I worked very hard in high school. I wanted to start on the basketball team. And I did that two years in a row for like two or three minutes and then I sat on the bench for the rest of the year. I, I, I worked hard, I knew all the rules and then I got on that court and freaked out. And I have, a bad case of performance anxiety and stage fright, and so I, I couldn't do it. But um, you get the principle, you get the point, you have to study. There's so many of God's people that, that frankly, God's got you on the bench, right? You're rejected, you're on the bench. It's not that you're not God's child, you're just not useful for him because you have lack of knowledge. You're not useful for him, and so you're just, you're just sitting on the bench wondering why you never play. You need to take the work seriously. Now, why is this such a big deal? Okay, here's a, again, I'm just sharing a few points with you. Here's another key point. Here's why this is such a big deal. You need to know that you were created for God's pleasure. You were created, the reason you exist is to make God happy. That's the only reason you're breathing. That's the only reason you were born. That's the only reason you exist is to make God happy. You say, I don't know if that sounds very biblical. I don't know if that makes sense to me. Well, it's because you have lack of knowledge then. Revelation chapter four, verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created what? All things, all things. And for thy pleasure, they, what does the they go back to in English grammar? Huh, all things. And for thy pleasure, all things are and were created. You exist to make God happy. You exist, you were created for his pleasure. Okay, well what's gonna make God happy? How do we make God happy? Well, okay, here's another really big principle. Uh, God wants you to be in his family. Nothing will make God happier than for you to be his child. Uh, the biggest day in any parent's life is when their baby is born. That, that first day, I mean that's the big one. <laughs> and there's many big precious days after that but when that child is born, I mean, <laughs> that's a, and there's so much joy in new birth. Well, the same thing's true of our Heavenly Father. He's, he takes pleasure, and the invitation is for us to enter into his family, to be born again. His invitation is to be a father, for us to be his children, for him to be a father to us, 2 Corinthians 6.18. Romans 8, 14 says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. If you think about your relationship with God and it only makes you afraid, it's because you have the wrong spirit. You need to be born again and you need to be indwelt and sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. And then that spirit will bear witness with your spirit that you're God's child. The spirit... Uh, it, it, we, that we receive, the Bible says, is the spirit of adoption. And it's by that spirit whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ. If so be, we suffer with him that we may be also glorified together. So here's what we need to understand. We were made for God's pleasure, and God is a father. If we're made for God's pleasure and God is a father, then that means we should exist as his children. That's what he wants. That's what's going to make him happy. That's how we will bring him pleasure. When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, how did he teach them to pray? He told them, here's how you do it. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He taught them to pray, our Father. See, here's the problem though. We were all, when we were born, physically, we were actually born into the wrong family. And I'm not saying, I'm not talking trash on your daddy, 
But what you need to know is spiritually there are only, there have only ever been, all there ever are, are two spiritual families. Jesus, when he's rebuking the religious leaders in John chapter eight, what does he say about them? Year of your father the devil and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. Uh, you are born in a family of lies to a father of lies. That's, that's our first birth in Adam. We were born with a sin nature and as such we were lost in the darkness of our sins. You were born with a sin nature but you are a sinner because you chose to be one. You knew you had a decision between right and wrong, light and darkness, and you chose to rebel. And so we're all cut off from the life and the person of Father God. We're lost in the darkness of sin. We're under the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. We're lost in darkness and blindness. We're in the wrong family. But God wants to adopt us into his family through a new birth. Uh, it's amazing, you know, you get born again, but you also get adopted. I mean, he just doubles down on making sure his children are his children. God made a way. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that God is long-suffering to usward and not willing that any should, repair, should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God couldn't leave us in the devil's family. He couldn't leave us lost. And so what he did is he made a way when there was no way. Okay, so again, God is a father, we were created for his pleasure. What will bring him pleasure is that we're his children. The problem is, is we're somebody else's child. In Adam, we're under the lordship of the God of this world in sin and rebellion. And so what God did is the infinite creator, the infinite God lived the life that we could not live and he took upon himself the sins of humanity. Now that blows my mind to think about the fact that Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, the creator of the cosmos, I mean, he's an infinite God. Do you understand there's no math that Jesus doesn't know? Do you understand there's no biology that Jesus doesn't know like the back of his hand? I mean, he knows it intimately. He is, I mean, he knows every hair, the, the number of hairs on every head in this room on the whole planet that ever lived and ever will live. I mean, he just, he knows literally everything. He's probably, I'm just guessing on this one, I don't have, I don't have scripture, but I'll bet you he's named every cell in my body. Uh, he has infinite capacity, okay? He is the mighty God. In him is all power and all glory and all majesty. Don't you understand when Jesus reveals himself for all that he truly is, all of what he actually is, creation can't stand it. Mount Sinai was melting in the giving of the law. I mean, at the point where Christ has had enough, where God has had enough, the heavens and the earth will pass away with a fervent heat. I mean, it's the, he's all powerful. Are you with me? He is the mighty God. If God showed up in this room, revealing all that he is, all of what he is, we would be vaporized in a moment. There's an aspect of God that is exceeding fearsome. It's massive, it's beyond our ability to comprehend. I mean, I think about that and sometimes it makes me pee a little. <laughs> like who, all that God is, all of what God is. And the Bible, my Bible tells me in Philippians chapter two that he esteemed me better than himself. He counted me better than himself. He made a decision that I was better than him. Is that true? Am I better than Jesus? Am I better than the creator? It's a trap, man. There's no right answer to that question. I don't have it. He says so. Read Philippians chapter two. He esteemed us better than himself. So the creator, Lord God Almighty, Life, light, love himself came to earth and lived the life I could never live and all of my sin, all of your sin, the sin of Adam, he was reckoned that at the cross of Calvary. God gave everything loving me. He gave everything. He poured out his blood to wash away my sin. That blows my mind. I, I've thought about this a thousand 
minimum a thousand times over my probably thousands of times over my life I can't totally get my head around that how great the love of God is for me would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I I, I sing that song and I cry a little bit because um, even that is a boastful comparison if we want to talk about what we actually are I mean I'm less than an amoeba <laughs> would he devote that sacred head for, for such a neutron, a photon, a proton. <laughs> I mean, he's everything, okay? How great is his love for us? He couldn't leave me lost. He wants me to be his child. So he gave everything. He gave it all in order to buy me out of my sin, my death, my place in Satan's family. You know, we start out in life having no clue. We don't know. We don't know about the love of God. We don't, I mean, you say, I, I remember when I was a little kid, I loved everybody. Two-year-olds have affection for everyone. They're good-hearted. Um, but they still love themselves the most. You know that if you've ever spent time, quality time with a two-year-old. We start in life having no clue that we desperately need Jesus in our life. We didn't love him. He first loved us. 1 John 4, 19, we loved him because he first loved us. So he initiates the relationship. Have you ever listened to the song by Percy Sledge? When a man loves a woman, what does he do? Whatever it takes to make her happy, but if you will listen to the lyrics of that song, she is a bad woman. I don't, you know, when that song comes on the radio, every guy looks at his wife. When a man loves a woman, if you're paying attention to the lyrics, I mean, she's a jerk. He is moving in heaven and earth and he wants her, whatever it takes to make her happy and, and, and she treats him bad. I think about Christ and the church. He does whatever it takes, anything. Revelation 1.5 says, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And that just blows my mind, that staggers me. He gave his life loving me. Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Yes, he did. So here, this is key. All God ever wanted in his life is us. Do you see that? He wants us in his life. All he wants is us in his life. Do you reciprocate? Is all that you want with all your heart, your mind, your soul is just to be with Jesus, to know him better, to grow in him, to know his heart, his mind, his will? See, God wants us growing and knowing him, knowing and growing with him with all of his heart. He wants us with him. Uh, it'd be like, uh, you know, if I, if I talk Cheryl into marrying me, because all I want is her in my life, but she doesn't really want to be, a, I mean, she just doesn't care. It's like, as long as the bills are paid and uh, I get, you know, I get shoes and, and the car I want, you know, this will work out fine. Um, but you stay on your side of the house, I'll stay on mine. Yeah, I, I'm Mrs. Miles and, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll spend our, our whole life together. Um, you're, you're, you know, you're better than the alternative. That just sounds awful. But that's, I mean, that's, that's typically what happens in relationships, isn't it? A new relationship, there's nothing like a new relationship. A new relationship is all light and wonder and flowers and potpourri and just deliciousness. And, and, uh, just, and so people in a new relationship, what do they do? They talk all the time, they're texting all the time, they're calling each other, hey, what's up, what are you doing? Like. Having my time wasted is what I'm, no, what are you doing? <laughs> Somebody walks by, hey, what'd you think about their shoes? Why, why, why do you think that? I mean, do you see how the shoes, like you wanna know stupid stuff about what this other person thinks. What's happening, you want to know them. You wanna know everything about them. You wanna know what they like, what they hate. You just want insight into who they are. I remember uh, I don't know if any of you guys can identify with this. I, I, I don't even know. I remember telling Cheryl about this uh, a time or two early on in our relationship. I can remember just wanting to be with her so badly and to know her uh, for us to be together. 
I used to think, I wish there was a way to make our brains one. Like, like, like we had, you know, God made us with uh, data ports so that we could just hook a cable up so that we could completely sync and synchronize our brains. I just, I just want, I just want her in my life so much. You know, I just wish we could be one. And then there's obviously the physical aspect of it. You know, the, there's always the urge to merge. And, and uh, it's just like, I, I wish we could be the same person, right? We could just completely sync. We could completely be together. Um, that's the beginning. Does anybody know what I'm talking about with that? You've ever experienced that? With, like, I just wish I could just, like we could just be the same person. Just be one. Okay, so that, that, that's the beginning of a relationship. Fast forward 20 years if they're still together. What's the communication look like? Pass the peas. What'd you do that for? <laughs> I mean, that's about it, man. Uh, what happened to growing in grace together? What happened in grow, that friendship growing a lot of marriages are dysfunctional and they illustrate the way the bride of Christ rolls so many times, too often, way too often. People start out born again, newly in the love of Jesus and it blows their mind and then you fast forward a few years and it's like, effectively the prayer life is, sup, sup Jesus, sup Father. Um, hey, I, I, I need a blessing today. I think, you know, I gotta get through traffic. I don't wanna be late. Um, I'll check you later. I mean, it's just like God's there. Pass the peas, God, you know? What happened to growing in the relationship with the Lord? I mean, that's the question on the floor this morning is do we want him? Do we wanna grow in knowing him to grow in Christ? What's the longing of our heart? Turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, there's a danger. We can't afford to be fake in our relationship with the Lord, halfway in our pursuit of Christ, one bun in our devotion to God. And I want to just point out what the problem is so many times in our lives. Second Timothy chapter 3 gives two categories, I think. You can break it down in multiple ways, but I'm just going to do two big ones. Uh, wrong loves, other loves, and then Live in lies. Look at verse one. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. I do believe that we're living in the last of the last days. What's happening in our world today looks like the headlines were just pulled from pages of biblical prophecy. I think we're living in the last of the last days. Uh, the, the coming of Christ is very close. And the big danger is, in the last days, men just love themselves. Have you noticed that about our culture? We are obsessed with self-love as a culture. All about our rights. People offend us and trigger us and, and we cancel people and we throw people away because the only person in our life that really matters is me, you know? Uh, men shall be lovers of their own selves. It's a focus of self. Philippians 2.21 says, for all seek their own and not the things which are Jesus Christ. And that's what happens. If Christ is not our first love, well then self fills the vacuum. And so we are covetous. Look at that next word. Colossians 3.5 says that covetousness is idolatry. When we're full of self-love, we want what we want, the way we want it, when we want it, how we want it, and we become idolatrous. We end up, we end up, cheating on God, we're adulterous in our affections. Christ is no longer our first love, self is, and so now instead of seeking after those things which are above, we're looking for satisfaction in this world, and we go whoring after other gods. You say, well, I'd never bow down to an idol, but you would to a car, a stereo system. I mean, you would literally do whatever it takes to get what you want in this world so that you could have this devotion to yourself. A lot of God's people have to find out what's going on on some Netflix series and, and there's no time to spend time with the Lord. There's no time to, for devotion with the, with, for Christ, with Christ. We're covetous. We're looking for satisfaction in this world and what the world has to offer. Boasters, proud, we end up giving glory to self. We self-vaunt, we self-promote. 
So there's wrong loves, and then here's the second, second category, living lies, living lies. Blasphemers, what's a blasphemer? A blasphemer is an abusive slanderer. I mean, when you blaspheme someone, you are in an abusive way talking trash on them, okay? That's what a blasphemer does. Uh, the great example is the, the, I mean, it's the famous example of blaspheming the Holy Spirit in Matthew, tw- uh, Matthew chapter 12. And this is the passage that God's people will typically kind of quietly panic over because it's obvious that sin, God, God himself says he won't, it won't be forgiven. You blaspheme the Holy Ghost and there's no forgiveness for that sin. Uh, those people will go straight to hell. And this has come up actually a few times over the last uh, a couple months, people asking about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So let's take a just quick sidebar um, uh, look at that. Let's have a little, let's have a little Q&A Bible study. Uh, can I blaspheme the Holy Spirit, Pastor? I'm so glad you asked. Okay, let's read it. So the Pharisees hear about these miracles that Jesus is performing, and they said, this fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. So the power isn't the power of God, it's the power of Satan, that's how he's casting out these devils. And that's what the religious rulers are saying. Jesus knew their thoughts, so he says to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he's divided against himself, how shall then his kingdom stand? Look, if Satan and I are in league, but we're working against each other, all these people are being set free, delivered out of his bondage, how's his kingdom gonna stand? Duh, you know, so, so, so Christ, Christ addresses that, verse 27, if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. You think you're in charge, but these disciples are gonna be running the kingdom. How else? He says, but if I cast out devils, by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. Or else can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his good, except he first bind the strong man? Then he will spoil his house. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. So, oh my goodness, can I blaspheme the Holy Ghost and be damned to hell with no possibility of forgiveness? Well, let's think about what's happening here. (coughs) Context is everything, right? Context is king. What's happening here? You've got Jesus performing miracles 2,000 years ago, and religious rulers are attributing Jesus' miracles to the power of Satan, right? They're trashing the Holy Ghost. They're slanderously abusing, attacking the Holy Ghost, and saying it's the power of Satan by which these miracles are performed. Christ's whole point is, is the Holy Ghost is shutting Satan down. That's how I'm delivering him. I'm doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit, not the power of Satan. So they are, they are slandering the Spirit in explaining away the miracles of Christ. That's offensive to God. You don't, you don't treat the Holy Spirit that way. So 2,000 years ago, you got a bunch of people saying it's by the power of Satan that Jesus is delivering people, and Jesus says, you have blasphemed the Holy Ghost. Okay, so now can you do that today, 2,000 years later? Well, let's start with the very clear thing. Where is Jesus on this earth performing miracles himself? Where is Jesus walking and talking and performing miracles? Where is Jesus, by the way, right now? He's at the right hand of the Father. His earthly ministry is over, isn't it? Now, of course, Christ dwells in our hearts by faith and he's working through us. Uh, absolutely, the Holy Spirit is at work, but to, but to be in a place where you can't be forgiven blaspheming the Holy Spirit, you would have had to have been born 2,000 years ago, saw the miracles of Jesus and attributed them to the power of Satan. Can't be done today. Do you, do you see that? It can't be done today. And if it can be done today, then that means there is a contradiction in Scripture 
This is why we need to rightly divide the word of truth. Nowhere in Romans through Philemon, the letters to the church, all of the Bible is for you, but not all of it is written to you. That's why we don't sacrifice sheep on this stage and burn them in the building, right? We don't do that. Uh, well, actually, what we'd do is we'd do it out there on the sidewalk. There'd be, a, there'd be an altar, and we'd, we'd sacrifice that, that sheep. We'd, we'd burn up that sacrifice on the altar out there, and then we'd bring, in, we'd bring it in and make an offering. before. We don't do that. While that is for us, it's not to us. This is the church age, okay? So we, we need to rightly divide the word of truth. All sin is forgiven, believer. For you, all sin is forgiven at the cross of Calvary. Only someone that saw the miracles of Christ performed and then attributed them to Satan could have blasphemed the Holy Ghost. You can't do that today. Rightly divide the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. We've got too many people that are ashamed because they don't know how to do that. They don't know what is written to who, when. Let's keep going. Disobedient to parents. Again, living a lie. Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. Uh, that means there's, there's, there's people who hold to unnatural affection. What does that look like? I don't know, man. I, I, I think there's probably a big, there's a big spectrum of unnatural affection. At the end of the day, your dog is not your baby. He is not your little boy, okay? Your dog is not your baby. That's not natural. You, you did not give birth to that dog, okay? Uh, there are only two genders. I don't know what else to tell you. There's just two. And people will tell you there's, it's a spectrum and there's a ton. And I mean, that's like saying the sun is green. And if you don't say it's green, if you don't believe it's green, you're a solar bigot. Well, I don't know what to tell you. It's yellow. I can't change that. When a baby is born, nothing is hidden. You, they, they don't hide what they are. I mean, it's either a boy. You can just tell by looking, male or female. In the beginning, right, how did God create man? Male and female created he him. Let's count them. Yeah, I just keep coming up with two. <clears throat> there are two genders, and so, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry, a, a dude can't have a, 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 a dude can't give birth. Okay, it just wouldn't work anyway. We said this when we looked at Adam. If it was up to him to have those babies, there'd be one childbirth, and that'd be the end of it. He'd kill himself before he'd have another baby. <laughs> it's, just, it's not gonna work. Um, God created them Adam and Eve, not Jerry and Larry. Like, so there is unnatural affection, isn't there? Truce breakers, again, live in a lie. False accusers, live in a lie. Incontinent, fiercer, fierce. Despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady. Heady means rash or running out of control. High-minded, here it is again, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Uh, there's that covetousness. There's that self-love. There's that pride again. Uh, this world steals our affection. Has it stole your affection for the Lord? What do you love the most in life? First John 2, 15, we're commanded, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. forever. Uh, we're commanded not to love this world, the things that are in this world, because it will steal your affection. Christ must be our first love. You know, if, if Cheryl said, um, if my wife said, you know, honey, I'm so glad we're married, but uh, man, our neighbor is hot. I mean, that dude is sexy, and I'd kind of like to just spend some time with him. I'm not gonna leave you, but I don't want to not be with him, too. Um, I'm glad we're married. I'm glad that you've provided a home. I'm glad that you know, you're working on a retirement for us, and, I'm, and I don't wanna lose any of that. I wanna stay Mrs. Miles, but I mean, I just love the way Jerry makes me feel. Am I okay with that? Do you know any dude on this planet that would be okay with that arrangement? Not if, not, I mean, only if they're sick in the head. Okay, that ain't gonna work. That's never gonna work. I mean, that's just not gonna work for me. 
I kind of want um, with all of my heart for my wife to want me with all of hers, right? That's how, uh, okay, so in Christ's case, think about this. What does he want more than anything? He esteemed us better than himself. He gave everything. He shed his blood to wash our sins away. Uh, he is totally devoted to you. Are you totally devoted to him? Or has the world and the things of this world stolen your affection and Christ now is no longer your first love, your only love, your true love? With all of his heart, he wants us to want him. He'd love for us to love him. Is everybody with me so far? We're like Lot. Uh, in 2 Peter 3 and 7 and 8, here's Rot, Lot, this righteous man. And you know, you're righteous. Christ is your righteousness. In Christ, you have the righteousness of God himself. And uh, the Bible says about him that, that this righteous man dwelling among Sodom and Gomorrah in seeing and hearing just the filth of how they live, in, he- in seeing and hearing the lifestyle of Sodom and Gomorrah, the Bible says it vexed his righteous soul. That's, uh, there is no greater description of how the church is living today. You've got people who have the very righteousness of God himself living in an effectual Sodom and Gomorrah, and our righteous souls are vexed. The question is, have we pitched our tent towards Sodom? Are we growing in relationship with this lost world? Are we, are, are, are we following after Christ? We're a lot like Lot in this day and age. You look at this list here in First, in, in first, or first Timothy. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wicked list. Here is a, here is a, here is a people, I'm sorry, Second Timothy 3. Here is a people who love themselves and, and, and what we're gonna see is they actually look like believers. Uh, there's no reality to it. They look like believers, but look at what's coming out of their life. Let me give you some homework. What you wanna do sometime is compare this with the filling of the Spirit. Compare it with the fruit of the Spirit. <clears throat> Contrast 2 Timothy 3, one through seven with Galatians 5, 22 through 23. If you've been through discipleship here, you you already know the teaching that being filled with the Spirit produces the same effects as being filled with the Word of God. In Ephesians 5, we're commanded to not be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit, and when we are, what comes out of our life looks like singing songs, spiritual songs. We sing and make melody in our heart unto the Lord. The Word of Christ, the life, the love of Christ is what comes out of our life. Then over in Colossians 3.16, we're told to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, and then what comes out of our life? Well, we speak and sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord. It's the same thing comes out of our life, being filled with the Spirit. How does that happen? Well, it's as we get filled with the word of God, we're being filled with the Spirit of God. As the mind of Christ is overtaking our mind, the spirit has more to work with, and so the life, the word of Christ, is what comes out of our life. So in, in 2 Timothy 3, you've got people who love the wrong things and they're living a lie, but if we're living the word of Christ, what comes out of our life? The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That's what's coming out of our life. You say, well, all that's obvious. Of course, I don't want to live like 2 Timothy 3. Of course, I want the fruit of the Spirit to be evident in my life. Well, look back at 2 Timothy 3, verse 5. This one's a little harder to pin down. It says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captives, silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, various lusts. In other words, you can look like a believer, you can sound like a believer without, I mean, you can look and sound like a Christian without actually living Christ from your heart and life. And what's worse, the result isn't just your fall, but it's also the victimization of others. You remember how Alan started? The danger is is that we can live in such a way so that we overthrow the faith of some. We can overthrow and shipwreck the faith of other people. 
here are some people in the last days who love themselves more than God, and as a result, not only is their life corrupted, but they corrupt the lives of others. They shipwreck and overthrow the faith of other people. Verse seven, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They have knowledge without coming to the knowledge of the truth. I mean, what is that all about? Ever learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. They're gaining information. The problem is is they're not gaining Christ. They're knowing things, they're growing in knowing things, but they're not growing in knowing Christ. Let me give you a logic chain that you gotta have in your life. Jesus, in praying for his disciples, he said in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. What's gonna set God's people apart from the world and to Christ? What's gonna do that? Well, it's the word of God. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word of God will take you out of pursuing the world and the things of the world, and it'll cause you to pursue Christ. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Okay, John chapter one, verses one and two. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. See, what keeps us from loving the world and the things of the world is the fact that we're in Christ. It's the word of God and the person of Christ that sanctifies and sets us apart. It's the, it's the word of God and the person of God that takes us from a focus of living our life in this world to just being with Jesus. Can I tell you why the world is so attractive to so many people? It's because they don't see Christ for who he is why the world and the things of this world are so attractive and so wonderful and we want to spend our life pursuing the things of this world, it's because we don't see Christ for who he is. Sanctify them, how? Sanctify them by thy truth, thy word is truth. How are you ever gonna see Christ for who he is if, if, if we don't get hungry for the word of God? Say, well, I'm not hungry for the word of God. I don't have an appetite. When I'm not hungry, I don't even need ice cream. How do I fix this? Would you ask this morning? Would you ask the Lord to build in you an appetite for God, for the things of God? Ask and ye shall receive. Would you walk by faith? Would you set aside some time to be in the word of God? Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The word of Christ, the person of Christ is what sets us apart from the world and the things of the world. <clears throat> the other reason that we so love ourselves is because we don't love Christ. To know him is to love him. To see him for who he is, that changes everything. I think there's a lot of believers that just don't see Christ for who he is. And so we're ever learning. In a church like MBT, we're learning a lot about God, we're learning a lot about the Bible, but we don't come to the knowledge of the truth. And Hosea, 6, or Hosea 4 verse six says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Why, because there's no love of God, there's no love of his word. Instead, it's a love of self, and so we're seeking the world and the things of the world. Listen to the word of the Lord. John 14, 15. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. John 15, 10, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. What an example to us. <laughs> First John 2, verse three, hereby we know that we love him, or hereby we know, uh, we do know that we, do, that we know him if we keep his commandments. John 10, 26, but you believe not because you're not of my sheep. That makes me tremble. You believe not because you are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. They follow me. Contrast that with God's people in Judges 2. The generation that followed God according to his word, they passed away and the Bible says there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord and verse 11 says, those people did evil in the sight of the Lord and they pursued other gods. They, they committed spiritual adultery. They went whoring after Balaam. 
Verse 12 says they forsook the Lord God of their fathers and followed other gods. Verse 13 says they provoked the Lord to anger. Or verse 12 says they provoked the Lord to anger and they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. Verse 14 says the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers. My people perished for lack of knowledge. There arose a generation that knew not the Lord nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And so they didn't follow him. They didn't seek after him. They didn't serve him. They followed and sought after what would make them happy in this world. And so God delivered them into the hands of the spoilers. It's like, it's like the sons of Eli. Check out 1 Samuel 2.12. See, we need a path of growth so that we know the word of the Lord, so that we hear his voice, so that we'll follow him so that we're not like the sons of Eli. The sons of Eli were the sons of Belial. They're the, literally the SOBs of the Old Testament. Sons of Belial. And look at this, why are they sons of Belial? Semicolon, they knew not the Lord. And what happens? My people perish for lack of knowledge. My people perish for lack of knowledge. So they're living, you study these sons of Eli and they're literally living 2 Timothy 3, one through seven. You can line it right up with these boys. What they did is they stole the sacrifice. When a guy comes to offer to the Lord, they stole what was given to the Lord, they stole and they took the best part for themselves and it was obnoxious. Uh, Verse 17 says, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord for the men abhorred the offering of the Lord. They abhorred the offering of the Lord. They saw how the pastors were rolling and it made, it made the people sick. They didn't, want, they didn't even want to go to church anymore. It was worse than that. In, second, in 1 Samuel 2, 22, Eli hears about what his sons did unto all Israel, how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he warns them, man, if you mess up and you treat another man bad, a judge can straighten that out. But you're treating the Lord bad because you're messing with his people. Verse 25 says, notwithstanding they hearkened not unto the voice of their father because the Lord would slay them. And God did, slew, God did slay them, he slew them. You know, I tremble at the idea that other people might stumble and fail in their walk because I don't know the Lord. I don't know, uh, if I don't know the Lord, I can roll in such a way, right? If I don't have knowledge, if I don't know the Lord, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge and I can walk now in such a way because my first love isn't Christ, it's myself and so I'm seeking love, affection, things of this world, not the things which are above because I'm number one. And so 2 Timothy chapter three, now I'm rolling in a way that's destructive Right? It's not just me that's messed up, but now other people, and this is what's happening in the lives of these sons of Eli. Uh, this is, you, you see this all the time in churches. Um, you know, what, what, what happens to cause people, what, what, what causes church splits? What causes people to leave the church? What causes people to think that a life in Christ doesn't work? It's always, let me alliterate it for you. It's always, you know, the pastor got messed up with babes, bucks, or booze. Right? They see that he's living in such a way that a life in Christ doesn't work. And they're like, well, if, if the pastor did that, well, I'm out of here. The pastor did that because he didn't know Christ. Maybe he's saved. Maybe he is born again. But he's not pursuing Christ. Christ wasn't his first love. He's not pursuing Christ. He's not, he doesn't have, his first love isn't, isn't the Lord to grow in Christ, to grow in knowing him. And so he lives he lives like hell. It's the same thing with God's people. The lost world sees how God's people live. God's people aren't on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. We live like, we live like the housewife that's committing adultery with her neighbor. The whole neighborhood knows it. Boy, Mr. Jones is sure an idiot. He's going home to that wife, He's, you know, and his wife's running around on him all the time. So, I'm so glad I'm not a part of something stupid like that. There's so many people lost in this world and their explanation for why they don't need God or the things of God, they don't need the word of God over their life is exhibit A, the church. The church is full of people that love themselves first. So of course they're covetous. So of course they love the things of this world. 
Now, I thank God for MBT. I really do. But I tremble that anyone would look at us and stumble in their walk because we're not, we're not growing in knowing Christ. He is in our first love. I tremble that, that, that we would be a people that forsake, forsake God and provoke him to have to deal with us. I think we need to pray for one another. I think we need to pray for our pastors. I think we need to pray for me. I think we need to pray for our growing leaders. I think we need to pray for our members. We need to be a people that are hungry to know our God, that are growing in knowing and loving him. God is a father. He wants us in his family. Christ is a husband. He wants a bride. He wants us to want him. He wants us to know him. Brothers and sisters, I'm grateful for this church, but there's never a time or a day where we don't desperately need revival, where we don't need to be constantly renewed, where we don't need to be constantly revived. We need to be a people for whom Christ is our first love. This city's going to hell in a handbasket. Where are the people that look at MBT and say, these people know God? These people love God. He's all, Jesus is all that matters to these people. Is that our testimony? Let me get more specific. Is that your testimony? When people look at your life, do they say about you? Do they say about you, this guy, the only thing that matters in his life, this gal, the only thing that matters in her life is Jesus. This cat loves, obviously God is in this person's life. Do they see your life and they're provoked to jealousy? Or do they see your life and their faith is overthrown and made shipwreck? Is this making sense? We need to pray. Can we just do that as we close? Can we just pray? You know, the people that know God, Daniel eleven thirty two. I'll just remind you this again. The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Can we just pray? You can just where you're at or if you feel compelled, just come pray with me. But let's just have a season of prayer. And so, Father, Lord, I pray for my brothers and my sisters, and God, I pray that this would be a place and a people, that we'd be a people who see you for who you are. God, there's a sense in which we should be in awe, um, the, the terror of the Lord in 2 Corinthians 5 is a healthy thing to consider. Um, but everyone who has, has love, a love in their heart for their beloved, they don't they don't hide from them, they don't avoid them, they run to them. Uh, Lord, help us to be a people who say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, uh, where you're our everything. Lord, I'm praying for a revival. There's some young people in this room that need to just surrender their lives to Christ and decide once and for all they're gonna give their lives to knowing and loving the Lord Jesus, to being your child father. Uh, to being with you, and that's their first love. <laughs> uh, there's, some, there's a high school kid that needs to get on fire for Christ.
that needs to get revival. And they can't fake it. They just have to surrender and receive it. And, and uh, there's a mom or a dad or a grandma or a grandpa that needs to get full of faith for their family and their community, but, but first for themselves to put off the things of this world and to seek you with all their heart, their mind, their soul, and their strength. It's like the old campfire song. You know, there's only a, it only takes a spark to get a fire going, and that's how it works with God's love. Uh, Lord, we, we need to be a people who are set aflame of your love and for your glory. Lord, there's some people today that need to break up with Netflix or or Disney, or Hulu, or Amazon, or whatever, because um, it's consuming them, or they need to, they need to break up with, with their gaming console, or, or, or their book series, or, or their, their, their sports team, whatever it is that's consuming in this world their, their, their love and their devotion for Christ. And uh, Lord, they need, to, they, they need to give themselves to pursuing you. Lord, I ask that you'd help me uh, to, to, to uh, Lord, to always be conscious of, of where my affections are set. I don't want anything in this world to steal Christ as my first love. And so, Lord, for myself and for my brothers and sisters, Lord, would you guard our heart? Would you help us to be wise and to guard our own hearts, to seek you first in your righteousness? God, you're the all in all, and you're all that matters. Help us to live like that is true. We need to grow in knowing you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I love you. We're way over time. You